briefly recall our context from this morning. Uh, Israel is at Mount Sinai, and God has spoken through Moses to the people, uh, putting forward the proposition of a covenant with them. The people of Israel have said, yes, we want to be in this covenant with God. And so God says, I'm coming in three days in special power, special presence on the mountain, and I'm going to make this covenant with you, Israel. And I'm going to speak to you the terms of this covenant. And the whole experience will be both glorious and it will be terrifying. And so for one more time, let's read what happens beginning in verse 7. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 7. And try and put yourself into this passage. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder... Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look at many of, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. So we've been 
making six observations about these verses. Uh, Last Sunday, we saw our first two observations, the importance of fearing God, and second, the importance of reverence when coming to meet with God. Uh, This morning, we pulled a switcheroo, and we skipped the third and fourth observations and went straight to number five. And so our fifth observation was the importance of being regularly reminded of God's commands. And then our sixth observation this morning was the importance of heeding God's word. But now we're backing back up to those middle observations, number three and number four. And we're going to spend almost all of our time tonight on number three. See the importance of preparation when coming to meet with God. See the importance of preparation when coming to meet with God. In this passage, God sets an appointment with Israel. In three days, he's going to come. He's going to show them something of his glory as he thunders and lightnings and inflames the mountain. Uh, God loves to do things in threes, doesn't he? Right? In three days. Why not four days? Why not two? No, in three days, that's when he's going to come. Uh, we probably immediately think of the, the tomb and Jesus rising from the dead on the third day when we hear that in three days. Um, I don't know if there's anything significant to the fact that God said, in three days, I will meet with you, um, other than to show us that our God does things in an orderly way. Uh, He is not whimsical. He does not fly by the seat of his pants. Our God has an order, and he has a reason for everything that he he does. So how was Israel to prepare for this appointment? How was Israel to prepare to meet with God? Well, three specifics are mentioned in our passage. Uh, In verse 10 and verse 14, we read about Moses consecrating the people. In verse 10 and verse 14, we read about the Israelites washing their garments. And in verse 14, we read about sexual abstinence. So let me say a brief word about these means of preparation. First, Moses consecrated the people. So what does that mean? Well, it likely means that Moses came down the mountain and did what he could to prepare the people to hear from God. Matthew Henry says that Moses' role here was to call the Israelites off from their worldly business and to call them to religious exercises, to meditation and prayer, that they may receive the law from God's mouth with reverence and with devotion. In a sense, Moses was calling the people to prepare their hearts to meet with God. It was a call for the people to humble themselves, to to till the soil of their hearts so that they would be ready to receive what God had for them when He spoke. Uh, Henry says, When we are to attend upon God in solemn ordinances, it concerns us to sanctify ourselves and to get ready beforehand. Wandering thoughts must be gathered in, impure affections abandoned, disquieting passions suppressed. Nay, Henry says, all cares about secular business for the present are dismissed and laid by so that our hearts may be engaged to approach unto God. 
The Apostle James in James 1.21 tells us how to prepare to hear from God. James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So here is how we consecrate ourselves to meet with God. This is how we make ourselves ready to encounter God. We're to put away all wickedness, that is, we're to turn our heart against our sin. We're to have a longing for holiness, a longing for Christ-likeness, and we're to humble ourselves. We're to come before God hungry for holiness, knowing that we need Him if it's going to happen. We're to come as children. We're to come meekly. Uh, We're to come eager to hear from Him, eager to give Him our, our utmost attention, But in that way, we consecrate ourselves. And honestly, the most important preparation that you do for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, is the preparation you do in your heart. It's the internal preparation that matters most. Well, second, we saw that the Israelites washed their clothes before they came to meet God. And washing your clothes is a good thing. We're glad that people people wash their clothes Uh, You can see why God, though, would command this command to the people of Israel. Washing their dirty, desert-stained garments was a way of signifying that those who meet with God need to be clean. That is, they need to put off their own dirt. They need to to turn away from their own filth and, and seek to be clean before God. The washing of garments was a visual, external way of teaching the Israelites what we just saw in that first truth, how to consecrate themselves inwardly. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Really, the washing of their garments was an outward call to inward repentance. And note, by the way, how similar this all is to our worship services. Uh, Each Sunday morning, we start with preparing our hearts to worship. The the goal in that few moments, as Janet plays the piano, is for us to take a moment and make sure, if we haven't done anything to this point, at least now, I'm going to prepare my soul to meet with God. I'm going to humble myself. I hope you've already been preparing before that moment. But if not, that's the moment to to get yourself into the right attitude to encounter God. And then as we draw near to God as a congregation, we take a moment and we, we have our call to confession. We go before God as a congregation and we confess our sin. This morning we confessed our sin of failing to forbear Right? We read in the love chapter that love bears all things and endures all things. And we, we came before God confessing together. We are sinners. We, we fail to love in that way so often. And yet we came pleading the blood of Jesus. Because it's only through Jesus that we have clean hands. It's only through Jesus that we have a pure heart. That coming to God in confession together as a church humbles us in God's presence. It gives us an attitude of repentance and a a longing to be holy even as we sing the rest of the songs and hear the scripture read and come to the hearing of the sermon. But the fact is, um, doing those things outwardly doesn't amount to anything 
if you're not internally seeking to benefit from them. And so I would ask you, when we take that moment to prepare our hearts for worship, do you do that? Do you prepare yourself to meet with God? Uh, Maybe you should speak to yourself and say, Self, I'm now coming with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're, we're coming into your special presence. Self, be humble before Him. Come to Him with reverential joy and joyful reverence, right? Those two things together. That sense of awe because you're coming into the presence of Almighty God. And that sense of joy because that Almighty God is your Father through Jesus Christ. And then when we have that call to confession, and you hear that first scripture read that indicts us of our sin, let it fall upon you. Let your own guiltiness Let it fall upon you since your sin. And then as we go to God in prayer together as a congregation, and as we confess that sin together, and as we plead the blood of Jesus together and rejoice in God's salvation together, be in that prayer. Uh, In that way, you, you get to experience with us coming to the mountain of God, preparing for the special presence of God. Uh, Remember, one way that you show that you're in that prayer is by saying, amen, right? By saying, it is true, I agree, it is good. And and actually, it's a call for God to bless what has just been said. And so we as a church family are walking through this same kind of preparation, humbling ourselves before God together. It's a family experience, a church family experience And frankly, it's the kind of experience that you won't find uh, much outside of a local church. And so I hope you seek to take advantage of it and to benefit from it. Well, then third, see that the Israelites abstained from sexual intimacy. Why did Moses tell them, uh, don't don't go near a woman? What was he saying there? Why, Why abstain from sexual intimacy? I think Calvin gets it right. He says, Although there is nothing polluting or contaminating about the marriage bed, yet the Israelites were to be reminded that all earthly cares were as much as possible to be renounced and all carnal affections to be put away, that they would give their entire attention to the hearing of the law. In other words, this was just one way in which the people of God were being taught To put away normal earthly concerns, even good gifts from God, in order to focus entirely upon Him. So Mount Hermon, how do we take what we see here with Israel, preparing to meet God and His glory on the mountain, and apply it to us? How might we prepare to meet with God? What I want to do with the bulk of the rest of our time is mention some very practical suggestions to help us prepare ourselves to meet with God on Sundays. Uh, These are little things, a lot of them, but they can go a long way in helping us to make the most of our Sunday worship services. Um, Several of these things are honestly suggestions, okay? That's why this is Sunday night, not Sunday morning. Uh, For some of these, I'm not going to be able to say, thou, you know, thus says the Lord. Rather, it's going to be, here's something to consider that might be helpful to you as you seek to prepare your soul uh, to worship on Sundays. So number one, regularly remind yourself that our Sunday services are meetings with God. They are meetings with God. 
And I think we need to think about that often. And I think we need to let that freshly fall upon us. When we gather together on Sundays, we are meeting with the transcendent. The holy, holy, holy holds the whole world in his hands, knows everything, controls the galaxies, as well as the microscopic world. I mean, this, this is the God with whom we are doing business when we gather on Sundays. In the routine of our lives, we can forget that. And we can lose our sense of wonder. We can forget just how amazing a worship service really is. If you just look with the eyes of your head, a worship service is never going to look amazing unless, unless we turn it to a rock show, unless we turn it to what it's not meant to be. But it's only when we look through the eyes of faith that we begin to realize that a worship service is a staggering thing where God has promised that when two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, He is here with us, not just like He is everywhere else, but in special presence, in, in the holy of holies type, special presence. Annie Dillard once wrote this rebuke of us Christians in our worship services. She says, On the whole, I do not find Christians, outside of the catacombs, sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are like children playing on the floor with a chemistry set, and they're mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. In other words, where is the sense when we come to church that we are meeting with God? That we are meeting with the God of Exodus 19 as well as the God of the last day that we read about in Hebrews 12 this morning. Um, would an unbeliever walking amongst us this evening in this worship service, would an unbeliever looking at our attitudes and our postures and our actions, would they sense that we are encountering God tonight as we worship? Now, this is the kind of thing we have to regularly remind ourselves about. So that's number one. Number two, pray often throughout the week for our Sunday services. Uh, don't let Sunday just be something that sneaks up on you and, oh, it's Sunday again. Rather, be looking forward to Sunday all week long in your prayer life. Uh, praying for Sundays the other days of the week has many wonderful benefits for your soul. It keeps your heart and your mind in a posture of eagerness, looking forward to the coming Lord's Day. It helps protect us from being a worldly-minded people Monday through Saturday and then suddenly a heavenly-minded people on Sunday. We don't want to be like that. We want to be heavenly-minded all through the week, even as we carry about our earthly business. Our services will likely see more blessing and have more power and produce a greater effect on our lives and this community and this world if we are being faithful as a church to seek, with, to seek God and to plead with Him for His blessings when we gather together on Sundays. Do, do you remember, I don't have this in my notes, but do you remember the story of Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God? Right, That powerful sermon. 
Except that when he preached it at his church the first time, it wasn't powerful at all. It was a dud. It was a dud. It, it, I'm not preaching that one again. It didn't seem very good at all. And yet he got called upon to preach it at another church, a church that had been praying for revival, a church that had been seeking the face of God and asking God to bless. And he goes and he preaches the exact same sermon he'd preached at his own church, and he doesn't even get through it. A lot of people don't realize that. He didn't even get to finish the sermon because people were crying out, what must I do to be saved? And it became such a, a passionate thing that, that he ended up having to stop in order to help minister to the souls. So the difference was not the preacher. It was the same preacher. The difference wasn't the sermon. It was the same sermon. The difference was the prayers of the people. So we should always be praying that God would come and bless in our Sunday services. Well, third, on Saturday evenings, Begin to prepare your heart for the Lord's day. So often, and I see this a lot in my own life and in the lives of those around us, it is easy for us to fill up our Saturday evenings in such a way that we give little thought to the next day's activities until we wake up on Sunday morning. Uh, friends, we should begin on, sun, on Saturday evenings to have a thought for, here's what's about to happen. Tomorrow I am meeting with God. If you are meeting with the President of the United States the next morning, or with the Queen of England the next morning, you would surely form a practice of being mindful of that on, on Saturday night. Getting yourself ready for that weekly encounter with royalty. Uh, Don't expect to just wake up on Sunday suddenly ready to worship. As you end your day on Saturday, go ahead and prepare. Pray one more time before you go to sleep that the Lord would have you ready and that He would bless the service. Uh, Ask God to take anything away from your heart or mind that would hinder you from being able to give that Lord's day to Him and His honor. Uh, Seek to get yourself in a mindset so that when you wake up on Sunday morning, you are eager To meet with God and His people. Well, number four, and related to this, don't stay up too late on Saturday nights. Uh, Friday nights may be a good time to stay up late and watch movies. But for Christians, Saturday nights probably shouldn't be. Now again, I can't point you to Habakkuk 2.7 or something like that. This is is advice more than thus says the Lord. And uh, we understand that. But God deserves better than our second best. Uh, When we come to worship God on Sunday, we want to give Him the best of who we are. And that means coming to church alert. Remember the difference between Cain and Abel? Right? Abel brought his best sacrifice when he came to worship God. Cain did not bring his best. Uh, As I understand it, giving, um, giving your body the rest it needs on Saturday night so that you can come to church refreshed on Sunday morning, is, is a way of saying, I'm giving my best sacrifice to God, of my attention and my praise and my thanksgiving, all that I have, and to this encounter with Him. Number five. Number five. Do what you can on Saturday, so that you will not be hurried or stressed on Sunday morning. You ever been stressed on a Sunday morning? Trying to get here? In time, trying to wrangle kids, and it's funny how often that seems to be the time when the, the marriage spat happens, or you get behind the tractor on the way or something, and tempers begin to flare. I think the devil's doing something there. Uh, each Saturday evening, 
make it a practice to perhaps go ahead and lay out your clothes for Sunday morning. Perhaps go ahead and fix the next day's lunch so that all you have to do when you get home on Sundays, heat it up. Uh, if you're coming home from somewhere on Saturday evenings, go ahead and get gas so that you won't find yourself having to stop and get gas on the way to, to church in the morning. Just think about these little practical things that you might can make it a habit to do on Saturday so that your Sundays will be less stressed and so that you can give yourselves more fully to the worship of God. Number six, eat breakfast. Eat breakfast. Now again, these are just practical suggestions. There's no biblical command to eat breakfast before you go to church. But one of the strongest distractions to your soul on Sunday morning is for your body to be hungry. Uh, when your body is uncomfortable, when your body is distracted, it will be hard from your, for your soul to benefit from all the glory that is happening in the worship of God. And so eat breakfast before you come, and that may be a way of helping you not be too hungry. Number seven, watch out for temptations on Sunday morning. Uh, there's nothing worse to prepare you for worship than to have a good fight with your spouse in the car on the way to church. Uh, for some reason, even the best of Christians often seem to wake up grumpy on a Sunday morning in particular. And when you're trying to get yourself ready or your kids ready and everyone out the door, one ill-chosen word can be the spark that lights the fire of an argument. So be careful of what Satan might do to frustrate you. What he might do to stress you out and to upset you so that you're not in the right mindset to approach God. Let your first thoughts on Sunday morning be of God and His love. Let your first words on Sunday morning be a prayer for Him to bless you and to protect that day and to make it a true day of soul rest for you. And then walk in His love even as you prepare to meet with Him here. Number eight. Number eight. Bring your Bible and come ready to receive God's Word. Uh, we really believe in the power of God's Word here at Mount Hermon. Uh, it is through the Bible that God speaks to us, and it is as we better understand the Bible that we better understand who God is and who we are and the glories of God and His Son and all that He has for us. We want to be a people of the book and the most important things that I ever have to say to you here are going to be the things that come out of the book. And so bring your Bible. Use your Bible. Follow along in your Bible. And let the Word of God have its full effect. Number nine. See the value of Sunday school in aiding your preparation for worship. Have you ever thought about that before? How Sunday school can benefit you in preparing your soul for the worship service. Uh, our Sunday school classes exist to help us grow as disciples of Jesus. But as we take that time before the worship service to be with other believers and to think about God's word, there's a very real sense in which we are preparing ourselves for the worship of God. Uh, how often have the Sunday school teachers come to me afterwards and said, you know, it's amazing. God took some of the things that you said in the sermon today and it went right along with what we were talking about in Sunday school. The very things we were discussing, the very things that we were trying to get across. God often does that and he uses what happens in Sunday school to help us get a greater benefit 
from the worship service. Uh, This is a great benefit in preparing us to come and sing God's praises from a sincere heart. If you're in Sunday school and you're hearing good gospel truth about what God has done for you, that should be stoking up the embers of your heart so that when we come and we start singing, you have a reason to sing. You have a fresh reason to sing because you've just heard it proclaimed in the Sunday school class. So really consider the role of Sunday school in helping you be a faithful worshiper. Number 10, seek to be on time. Uh, Do your best to be on time, or even better, do your best to be a little early, because that's a great opportunity for Christian fellowship. It gives you a chance to check in with others and to hear what's happening with them. Uh, It gives you moments to show love and to, to do acts of service. And also, perhaps most importantly, being on time or early allows you um, to not be so rushed when you arrive. It gives you a moment to settle your own heart and so that you can come into the worship service with a prepared soul, at ease, ready to encounter God. Number 11, use the restroom beforehand. Again, no chapter and verse here, okay? Um, And I probably don't need to say much more on that one. Uh, But as we said earlier, it is hard for the soul to focus if the body is uncomfortable. And when it comes time to sing our praises to God, uh, we are far less of a choir when there are several of us going back and forth to the bathroom at the time when we're supposed to be singing as a family, as a choir to our audience of one. Can you imagine when we have our Christmas choir each December? If at the time when the Christmas choir started singing, all of a sudden the members just started going in and out to use the restroom, right? We would say, that's weird. Why? Well, because they're singing to an audience. Well, what are we doing when we're singing together on Sunday mornings? Are we not singing to an audience of one? Now, anytime I preach on something like this, you're going to have to go right in the middle of a song next Sunday, and you're going to feel awful. So no guilt, No guilt here, okay? Don't feel awful about that. But it's just a word of of advice to say, do go ahead and try intentionally use the restroom before, before the worship service. Number 12, sit with others so that you can experience worship together. Sit with others so that you can experience worship together. There is something about sitting close enough to others so that you can hear them sing as you sing that is very encouraging in worship. It's something very encouraging when you've got your Bible open on your lap or you're filling out your sermon notes and, and here they are, a seat or two from you, and they've, they've got their Bible out on their lap. And there's something wonderfully unifying about worshiping God together. Uh, as we sing, they are honoring God and loving you as they sing those most important truths in the world into your ears, and you are honoring God and loving them as you sing those same truths into their ears. Uh, During the scripture reading, during the sermon, you're not just hearing from God as an isolated individual. You're hearing from God as part of a family. We are hearing from God. God is speaking to, to us. And so sitting with others helps foster that sense of corporate worship, which is really very important. And so those are some very practical suggestions. You consider them, think about them, and uh, in a minute, uh, if you have some that you want to suggest, I'll give you an opportunity to to share those in just a moment uh, as we prepare to encounter Almighty God.
But we do have our fourth observation. I want to make it very quickly. Our fourth observation from our passage. See the importance of God-appointed leadership. The importance of God-appointed leadership. Did you notice the reason that God gave to Moses for why he was coming to the mountain in a thick cloud? Why was God going to speak audibly to Moses so that even the people of Israel were going to hear God speak? Why? Well, look back at verse 9. Look at what God says at verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. In other words, part of what God is doing in this grand event at Mount Sinai is making it clear to his people that Moses is his under-shepherd. The under-shepherd that he has appointed for them to follow. God is going to speak to his people, but he's going to do it through this man, through Moses. God is going to lead his people, but he's going to do it through this, this man, Moses. Why? Well, because all of this is pointing to the greater covenant to come. When there will be one who is greater than Moses, a mediator between God and man. Remember, Moses is a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews has much to say about this. Uh, Just as God led his people Israel through Moses, so God leads all his true children, the true Israel of every nation, of every age, and he leads them through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, some people don't realize that when God spoke to Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, God spoke those ten words, those ten commandments. He spoke them audibly. And so as God spoke, you shall have no other gods before me, the people at the bottom of the mountain were hearing the booming voice of God. And in Deuteronomy 5, when Moses reminds the next generation, when Moses reminds the children of these folks who were at Mount Sinai about what happened in this experience, He says that the whole nation heard the voice of God and that it was so terrifying to them that they pled with Moses to ask God not to speak audibly anymore. It's one of the few moments in history in which God's audible voice was heard by a mass of people. And yet God says that he did this so that the people would trust Moses. So that the people would believe Moses when he claimed to be the messenger from God. Well, now think about what happens in the New Testament. At the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and a mass of people hear the voice of God audibly speak from heaven. And what does he say? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And at the transfiguration, which interestingly also took place on a mountain, Right, Uh, God's voice speaks audibly and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And so in both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, God establishes a mediator, a go-between, by speaking audibly in a way where people hear the voice of God. After Jesus has been raised from the dead, and has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came upon the apostles at Pentecost with a fiery tongues. 
And God showed the people of Jerusalem with this and other mighty signs that the apostles also carried divine authority, that they should be listened to. And so we have this uh, pattern of Scripture where God marks His appointed leaders in a way that His people can recognize them and not be led astray by false shepherds. Uh, In our churches, God marks His leaders through Spirit-given qualities. So in Acts 20, 28, Paul says it is the Holy Spirit who makes men overseers or pastors in a church. Uh, These men do not have divine authority. That belongs to the Scriptures. But these men do have a calling to be shepherds of God's people. And in 1 Timothy and in Titus, we have the marks to look for, both in our pastors and in our deacons. Uh, These leaders are to be above reproach. They're to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. They're to be gentle and not quarrelsome, not lovers of money, good leaders in their own homes. And if we ignore these qualifications when appointing pastors or deacons, then we are in danger of following false leaders. But if we pay attention to those qualifications and appoint godly pastors and deacons, then then God will bless His people through these men. And I know I speak for, for Pastor Merle and for all of our deacons and for myself when we ask you to pray for us that we would be continually and pervasively marked by the characteristics of godliness that we see in those passages of Scripture. Uh, We need your prayers because we need more and more of God's grace, just as I know that you, you do as well. So here is the ultimate mark of a godly leader. They point us in their words and actions to the great shepherd himself, to Jesus Christ. And so just as Moses was being established by God as a leader for Israel, We need to pay attention to those New Testament qualifications so that we will see the leaders that God has appointed for us. On Mount Hermon, we've seen six truths from this passage. But the greatest truth of all is that God has given us access to Him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our God is good and glorious. He's just and yet forgiving. He's righteous and yet merciful. He is a mighty king and yet he is a tender father. And he is ours when we come to know him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you will come next Sunday ready to worship God with reverence and joy. That you will come having prepared yourself both inwardly and outwardly to worship. And that we will come ready to receive what God has for us as we move into Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. And think about the role of those commandments for us today as believers in Christ.